Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Truth and Movies rides again. Today, King Arthur. Is it King Rubbish? Listen in on a roundtable discussion of Guy Ritchie's Cockney swagger than his Pyramid of Giza and get our verdict on that crucial Beckham cameo. Also today, Colossal, Kaiju Gogo in Nacho Vigalondo's bizarre mashup of Anne Hathaway and Korean monster flick, soul-destroying in more ways than one. Plus, Film Club, The Host, and now available in Cannes, David Jenkins phones in from Love Festival. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello, you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. With us today on Truth and Movies, we've got Adam Woodward back. Hello. Nice to see you again, Adam. And we're joined for the first time by Ash Clark, straight off the plane from Jersey City, uh, where you do such fine work reviewing for Little White Lies and Film Comment and The Guardian. Yeah, those guys. Plus, you've got a notebook that says Sundance on it. Yeah, I've been to Sundance Film Festival. Very cold, but recommend it if you can manage it. All right. Now, many thanks if you got in touch with us in the last seven days. Uh, you can do so via Twitter, at LWLies, via email, Adam. Yeah, email address is truthandmovies at tclondon.com. Well, there's also the Facebook page, the Little White Lies Facebook page. Yeah, which is just Facebook and then forward slash Little White Lies magazine. Boom. Yeah. Haven't got too much time because we've got so much coming up. But here's Gerard Corvin, who says, I like how these Little White Lies podcasts are going. Sophie Monks Kaufman has a voice like toffee apples. It's true, actually. Hey, here's a gingerbreaded man who's uh, still on that riff about TV shows that people make good movies of. David Jenkins, who has some quite absolute opinions, as you mm-hmm. might know, Ash, uh, suggested that it had never happened. No one had ever made a good film from a TV show. Uh, gingerbreaded man says, I raise you with the 93 thriller The Fugitive. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Although I think he was... David was initially referring to sitcoms where the film is essentially the same cast, the same premise, and the. He should have said that then, well, shouldn't he? He should have, yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to the Holding the Baby adaptation. Yeah. The Nick Hancock um, sitcom from the 90s. I've never seen that. No. Oh, yeah. Don't watch it either. Nobody really? has. No. Is, it, is it the worst sitcom you've ever seen? It lasted two two series, I think. Well, I'm being facetious, but I do miss the uh, the days of those kind of sitcoms. Mm. Yeah. All right. Men Behaving Badly, I'm pretty sure they did make a, a long player, as mm. it were. Of. Um, hey, anyway, let's talk about a film they did make, and it's King Arthur. Bosch, King Arthur. Ash, what is it? It is the latest attempt to make a film out of the Arthurian legend. You know, it's a film that I'm not sure many of us were crying out for, given we've already been gifted such delights as Excalibur. First Night and uh, King Arthur from 2004, starring Clive Owen and Keira Knightley, which was quite a big budget, um, kind of lavishly mounted blockbuster. But Mm. now this is the return of of Guy Ritchie, 
right royal cockney barrel of monkeys director um, Guy Ritchie, um, who's given us a kind of strangely po-faced but yet also geezerish and glib mashup, yeah. um, starring Charlie Hunnam, beloved from his role in Green Street. He's he's from the northeast, and he plays a cockney in Green Street. Sometimes, yeah, a yeah. kind of Stepney via Mumbai kind of brogue. Um, it's worth looking up on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Here he plays a kind of lightly northeastern accent with occasional lapses into Cockney. And he's this film's biggest problem, I think. He's kind of a real void at the heart of it. And there's a, there's a painful irony to this film in that the film is the story of a man who is a young man who's trying to work out if he can become a legend, if he can take on the mantle. But really watching the film unfold, it's about the story of a, a young actor wondering Ooh. whether he can become a star. And I've right. heard on the grapevine that there's six films planned for this franchise. And watching poor Charlie Hunnam go up against actors of the calibre of uh, Jimon Hansu from, from Amistad and uh, Jude Law, who's wonderful in this film, yeah. and he's just a real structuring absence at the heart of it. I'm so glad that you said it, because I had him down as his problem number one in this film, Charlie Humdrum. Charlie I, Humdrum. Him. I saw him in Lost City of Zed, and once again, he was a kind of total personality void there, and I was, I was a bit mystified where, say, for example, Sherlock Holmes had that terrific... I mean, you had Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law really carrying the film. Yeah and really breathing life into it. Well, the thing with him is, with Guy Ritchie's dialogue, mm. it's very sing-songy and very glib, mm. and there may be three, four actors in the world can pull off that kind of attitude without you wanting to slap them in the face. Robert Downey Jr. is one of them, yeah. and he brings that kind of character to Iron Man, um, you know, where he's, he's kind of smarmy, but he's likeable. With this film, you have a very monotonous performance, where when he's supposed to be having emotional peaks and troughs, he just remains kind of sarcastic and remote all yeah, the way through. He almost sounds bored of the dialogue. Mm. And also, every, virtually every shot of Charlie Hunnam in this film is a hero shot. Um, and I read something about him look, uh, watching clips of Conor McGregor, the USC mm. fighter, um, t- to sort of see his fighting style. I think it's a shame that you don't get that sense of his background, his research into that fighting style. It doesn't really come through in the performance because of the way Guy Ritchie shoots the action. Um, I sort of mentioned in, in my review this whole thing of the slow motion style which Guy Ritchie often employs in his films. It kind of makes sense if you're watching something like The Matrix where the bullet time shows the bullets which move very quickly. And here, the swords don't move particularly fast. Mm. And they're quite easy to follow in, in, in you know the context of an action sequence in a medieval setting. And here... You know, every scene, every action scene, they slow it right down. Charlie Hunnam, he sort of looks the part, flexes with his sword, mm. swings it about. It, you know, doesn't really do much for me. Ash mentions the prospect of a, a series of 60s films. I, I imagine that might be knocked on the head by the awful opening weekend. It's projected to make a loss of uh, up to $150 million. That's loss, beaten on its opening weekend. And this is ironic, by a film called Snatched. You know, Guy Ritchie. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, with this film is that, you know, if they do want to make a franchise, there's, there's a fair few colourful supporting characters. So maybe Mischief John. Memorably essayed by Jeff Bell, who's right. got a great hard man face hmm. and pops up in lots of like Nick Love kind of geezer movies. And Aidan Gillen's character, Goose Fat Goose Bill. Fat. There are kind of like, yeah. some colourful supporting characters. Do you know, I, it, it, it is a terrible film, and yet I would watch another one. It wasn't dull. And compared to, say, Man from Uncle, it wasn't dull. There's, there's if anything, too many ideas there. Um, I wrote down it's Snatched Meets Lord of the Rings with costumes by Giacomo. 
you could imagine Freddie Flintoff wandering <laughs> through this film and not really being out of place. Well, that's the other thing with Charlie Hannum's uh, King Arthur is that his backstory, which you don't see a lot of guy, which is not very big on exposition usually. He does a montage. At he the does start. a nice montage, and you sort of see this this young boy. He's raised in a brothel, pulled up by his own bootstraps, fought his way not so much to the top but it's the makings of this like rags to riches story and yet the whole film he's strutting around in this immaculate sort of cream quilted jacket as Monty Python asks why hasn't he got swear word all over him (laughs) exactly yeah and and it's just totally uh, it doesn't really fit the Mm. character or his or his arc or his backstory or anything it's a very confused film and in fact I felt it was a little bit like a two hour trailer you could take 90 seconds out of most of that film, stick it out as a trailer, and no one would notice the difference because it's action shot, line of dialogue, slow-mo, line of dialogue, action shot. And every now and then you do get set pieces. that, For me, I thought actually there were one or two moments when the film actually worked and it was mm. exciting and visually dynamic. I mean, it looks good. And I like the music as well. The music's, I thought, quite quite thuddy, yeah. quite repetitive, mm. but at least it, you know, it, it gets you going. It gets the blood racing in certain action sequences. At times, that the storytelling verges on the avant-garde. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's needlessly overcomplicated and a kind of throwback to the early films of like yeah. Snatch and Lockstock, where there's very inspired by Tarantino, where there's flashbacks, flash forwards, kind mm. of things are happening at different times, and it's very kind of. Uh, needlessly, I think, overdone in that respect when a simple linear telling might well have benefited this film. Well, why do you think he did that? I mean, it's a little bit like seeing a 50-year-old reprising his moves on the dance floor. The work when you're 20. Why do you think he did that? I don't, it's, what's curious about this film is that there's a few instances of this, but there's one scene where Charlie Hunnam is uh, explaining how they're going to kind of, you know, crash the castle and... You don't actually see that scene. That, that, that scene would probably be the most interesting, more exciting scene, uh, action scene of the film. And yet, Guy Ritchie doesn't really, he's not really interested in that. Uh, he sort of races through that, shows it in this very Guy Ritchie montage style. Mm. I'm really curious as to know what he actually is interested in in this story because he's clearly not all that invested in the Arthurian legend. I think it's a very sort of bland update of that in terms of. Um, He's not really tried to do anything new or interesting with the story. The main feature, really, of, of his character here is this relationship with the sword, with Excalibur, mm. which mm. the powers of which are sort of very vaguely defined, and it sort of glows blue, and, and, yeah, you don't really know much more than that. He doesn't really reveal anything. So he's clearly not interested in that. Not interested really in showing the action sequences, as I've said, or not showing them... In it's, an interesting way. It seems to me to be a compromised work. His, yeah. his early films, he was so clearly the auteur of, of the work. He was all over it. I see here um, he shares uh, screenplay credits with two other writers. And there were copious moments in the film where I saw Guy Ritchie perhaps getting frustrated and really imposing himself. There's a line, I need you to go to Londinium, gather the lads. And that pops up at a really pivotal moment in the film. And you're suddenly right back to that, that lock stock thing. And it's an awkward clash, I think. There's a lot of, there's a lot of authorial voices going into this. Mm. And it doesn't feel that smooth. I think if he would, perhaps he'd like to work on a smaller budget, maybe. Perhaps. So maybe he will be given a smaller budget I think, after. I think he secured it. Maybe he did it on purpose. <laughs> so, well, all right. Let, let's reach the scores then. And uh, the little white lies way, Ash, you don't need me to tell you, is your expectations, your enjoyment at the time and your thoughts after? Well, what numbers would you give? I'm going to give it a Desmond Cubed, which is a 2-2-2. 2-2-2. Two, two, mm-hmm. two. Two, two, two. Mm-hmm. All right. Adam? I think 2 for anticipation. I'd give it a 3 for enjoyment because I think there's some bits to like and in spite of itself, I mean, Jude Law's very good in that campy villainous role. Yeah, he is good. And a 2 for... I mean, I pretty much forgot this film the, the moment I walked out Likewise. of the cinema. But... 
I would see another one. If he did make another one and it was a rainy afternoon and I didn't have anything on, I'd go and see another one. I think there's maybe a problem with this particular story being retold countless times. I mean, you mentioned the films King Arthur and a few Excalibur and a few others. I've mm. completely forgotten about all of those films. And I'd also sort of forgotten that Guy Ritchie had done the two Sherlock Holmes films, which I, I quite enjoyed. Well, the second one, I think, is, is, is fabulous. Mm. A Game of Shadows with yeah. Jared Harris. And again, a, a great baddie in, in that. Yeah, I would say expectation, maybe a three, enjoyment, two and a half. I wouldn't think about this twice afterwards. But, you know, if you're on a flight... Yeah. Yeah. He's a good director, but he just needs to calm down a bit. I just Cheer I wonder what sort of film he really wants to make. Because mm. it feels like something which has probably been knocking around. There's been a, a, you know, Warner Brothers have got the right to the story and they want someone who can come in and say a pair of hands... David Beckham biopic. Well, exactly, yeah. We didn't mention the David Beckham cameo. Ash, your, your scores on the David Beckham cameo. I think he was rather good. Um, I think he, he's got potential to be the next Vinnie Jones. Yeah, the David Beckham cameo. I mean, there's a, it's actually been spoiled already by a sort of teaser trailer. Oh, is it? They show basically the entire... Oh, I hadn't seen which, that. If you've not seen it, he pops up in the background of a sort of pivotal scene. Yeah. Won't say any more than that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's so obviously David Beckham. <laughs> But he's actually quite good. I, I think he's good. I mean, next to Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, I'd rather see him play <laughs> King yeah, Arthur. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, well, there you go. That was King Arthur. And we'll be back with Colossal after this. <laughs> Colossal. It's not the sequel to Big, Adam. No. What uh, is it? So this is uh, director Nacho Vigalondo's I'm just going to call it a strange film. Mm. Uh, it's It was at Toronto Film Festival last year and it has, I guess, a bit of makings of an indie film, but it's trying to do something a bit bigger than that, a bit more ambitious in terms of the, the scope of the story. So in, in one half of it, I suppose, you have Anne Hathaway, who is introduced at the start of the film as a, a sort of alcoholic, possibly depressive young woman living in a big city, um, has relationship troubles, decides to move back home where she encounters a friend or someone from her past, basically. And all the while, there's a uh, keiju-type creature has appeared in uh, Seoul and Korea and is destroying the city. And we find out that there's a connection between Anne Hathaway and the monster. Right. Yeah, if we're going to play the meets game, I had this down as a Garden State meets Cloverfield with a script by Charlie Kaufman. Although I did feel it rather lacked the wit of Charlie Kaufman. But what did you think of it? Yeah, that description I think makes it sound a lot more intelligent and interesting than it maybe is. Uh, well, the I reviews th- have been good. Yeah, the reviews. I've read a few mixed reviews. Um, I think my main issue with this film comes down to Anne Hathaway's character, Gloria, and specifically the depiction of her alcoholism. The film is 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 an intriguing premise. I don't think it necessarily delivers on that. And... Yeah, as I say, I I actually take issue a little bit with the way that it uses her depression, basically, I think we, we can call it, as a sort of ploy, as a bit of a device to, to lure you into mm. her, her story and her backstory. But it doesn't really explore what that means, the sort of real-world effect it has on her and her, her surroundings and the characters and people in her life. Um, I think it's actually a bit misleading, this film, and a bit mm. disingenuous. Ashwood, you saw it about a month ago. It's been out a while in the States. That's correct. I concur pretty much entirely with with Adam on this. I found the characterisation of Gloria extremely thin. I think it's a film that never settles on a particular tone. It's kind of about lots of things. It's kind of about addiction. 
It's kind of about abusive relationships. It's kind of about going back to a small town and facing up to your past. But there are films that have kind of taken these and really in, infused them with, with life and soul and, and spirit, thinking of even something as cynical as a young adult with Charlize Theron. Despite that film's flaws, felt like a much more rounded and fully conceived character and story. This film really kind of it reminded me in a way of something like Swiss Army Man. Uh, otherwise known as the the farting corpse movie hmm. yeah. with Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano, which is wacky and it kind of obviously takes the premise way out there, but I, I think it really follows through, so to speak, on its premise. It really takes you to strange places and it, you know, there's a real emotional weight to that. Whereas this film, I use the word glib again, which I use to describe King Arthur, mm. there's a glibness to this film that, that never kind of leaves all the mm. way up to the very final shot when yeah. it's when it's a film that should be kind of trying to hit you with, with emotional force and it's dealing with big things. And I was also a bit concerned at the... Um, is it, is it a spoiler to talk about the damage that this monster wreaks in, in South Korea? Hmm. Well, I think we can we can sort of reveal a bit of that. Because uh, people die, I mean, like... Yeah, so the, the way the events of the film unfold, we're sort of every now and then tuning into the, the sort of live 24-hour rolling news coverage of this these monster attacks, which seemingly happen at um, random intervals and often leaving quite a trail of destruction. Um, but like you say, we don't really experience that on a, on the ground level mm-hmm. in any meaningful mm-hmm. way. Does in, it make me a, a bleeding hot liberal to no, kind I, of say that that kind of really troubled me? Actually. I, I would imagine that Nacho would say that I'm, this is a parable, and and as such, don't take that half of it seriously. That's not what I'm trying to do with this film. But I, I agree with you. I don't think that what he's trying to do, is, in as much as I understand it, succeeds. It's a big concept film that the, it never really delivers on the concept. It's not funny enough to be funny. It's certainly not dramatic enough to be. It succeed as a, as a drama. It's certainly um, different. I mean, it's it quite, is it's different, quite but it's not. A, and, and this comes back to something you were talking about, Adam. I don't think it's nearly as daring no. as you would imagine from the from the central, you know, concept that it, the, the big idea behind it. I mean, the, the characters are all very much kind of your mainstream Hollywood tropes, and there's, it doesn't really take you to any place or, or make any kind of message that that Hollywood wouldn't be comfortable selling you. Mm, and it, it ultimately centres on her relationship with a guy who grew up in the same town as her, played by Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis' character in this plays the um, former friend, basically, who, who lives in the same, grew up in the same hometown as uh, Anne Hathaway's character. Their relationship is, I guess, the main focus of this film, ultimately, and the journey we go on with them takes a few twists and turns uh, and turns into actually something quite unexpected, I'd say, and mm. quite, quite sour in a, in a lot of ways. And, yeah... I, th- I found that entirely unpleasant, the whole dynamic between them. I think Anne Hathaway does what she can with a very underwritten role. Yeah. Um, she, she exec produced this film. Oh, did she? Mm. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably kind of a it's a striking out for her. It's a d- very different sort of role. Mm. Um, but you know, it, you can only deal with what you're given to work with. In don't I know it? Actually. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a shame indeed. because there's a lot of there's the makings of a really good character and a really good story here. And you mentioned the young adult earlier. With that film, you really go on a journey with Charlize Theron's character. And and here you're sort of by the end you're back to kind of where you started with her. And yeah, I just found it very difficult. I think the film really goes out of its way to, uh, I don't know, make sure you're not, you're not really ever on, on her side that much. It's also that fatal word, isn't it? Quirky. Yeah. It's right. quirk overload. Give it some numbers. Go digital on it, Ash. I will go uh, three anticipation because I saw the trailer and I thought it obviously looked potentially very, very interesting. Mm. Uh, enjoyment, again, two. I was mostly baffled 
intermittently entertained by it and ultimately disappointed, which is why I would also give it a two in retrospect. Yeah, I think copy those. I think three, two, two. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Hey, we'll try and like a film next when we deal with our film club for this week, which is The Host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The host... Not the Stephanie Meyer one, but the 2006 Korean monster flick by Bong Joon-ho. This was, until 2014, the highest-grossing South Korean film of all time. I don't know what overtook it, but... Well, I don't know. There's other stuff now, isn't there? Yeah. Plus, I mean, you've got Train to Busan. Yeah. Did you see that? I did, yeah. I love that film. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. If you haven't, if you haven't seen that, Ash, it's uh, Zombies on a Train. Sounds basically. good to me. Yeah, on, mean, a, on a bullet train. In Korea, it's, it's good. The Handmaiden, that's Korean, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's uh, Chan Wook. Oh, right, that, that, I really enjoyed that too. And I really enjoyed this. Crucially, so did our listeners, Adam. Why did we pick this? So we picked this two reasons. Firstly, there's a sort of loose connection with uh, Colossal, with the, with the monster and South Korean element. Uh, and also the director, uh, Bong Joon-ho, has a new film in Cannes called Okja, which shares uh, yeah, quite a few themes and... I don't know. We haven't seen the film yet, but it seems to um, seems to have a stylistic and thematic overlap there. For anyone who didn't do the homework and hasn't caught up with the host yet, what's it briefly about? The host is a, basically a, a monster movie in which a sort of aquatic, amphibious monster uh, wreaks havoc on a, a Korean town, city, and uh, it's yeah. We follow some of the survivors as they basically work out what's going on and try to defeat the monster. Hmm. Well, let's get some listeners' comments. So, yeah, so James Joslin writes in uh, via email and says, two main things that I took away were the fantastic monster design with a balanced use of CG and animatronics mm. and the poignant observations on Korean politics demonstrating the corruption, incompetence in leadership and the protests akin to those that saw the recent ousting of Park Jun-hee. 
Yeah, very nice. I think nice. You know, that was one thing that at the end, I thought, yeah, that's for me. And as much as there's a message, I, I did, took a while to adjust to the tone of this film, which is it's not a standard kind of Hollywood level that it's pitched on. Mm. It's um, it's almost quite low key. Uh, and some of the humour maybe gets lost a little bit in translation. But um, the way that it focuses on ordinary folk, it was very much ordinary folk, the heroes, but not because they get transformed in heroes, because just they have to go through all this shit. A swear word. Every day. Yeah. And, and, in, and, and they get through it. It's really easy to empathise with the characters. Mm. You know, it, it, it's not distant at all. You're mm. kind of in there, grabs you by the throat straight away. And because these characters are all so relatable, you know, you're right in it from beginning to end. All right. What else? So on Twitter, we've got at Mia Pia, uh, who says, I love this. Not what I expected at all. Fantastic film. And Cousin Victoria saying, showing your monster, very first scene. So cool. The opposite of Boogie Nights. Exactly. Why? What happened in Boogie Nights? The very last scene. Anyway, never mind. Do you never show, see Dirk Diggler's Diggle? <laughs> the very last scene. Is that right? Yeah. on that. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Um, James Willis, excellent movie, only a touch let down by some funny-looking CGI at a couple of points. Uh, surely to be ironed out in the remake, which is going to be called the H2SO2, because yeah, that works be better on paper, to be fair, yeah. but it's good. Should we talk about the the monster and the CGI? Okay. Well, I thought there was fact, a Cronenberg feel to it. Yeah, possibly. I mean, both of those comments, actually, from the cousin Victoria and, and James Willis there, it is amazing. You, you see this monster pretty much in the first scene of the film, and it's a long time since I'd seen it. I think I saw it when it came out in 2006. Rewatching it, I remember not so much my entire experience of the film, but particularly that scene, seeing the monster, which sort of emerges out of a river and, and sort of runs at people, and you, and you see it over the shoulder of, of, a, of one of the main characters. I remember very clearly my, my experience at the time in the cinema really being gripped and, and, and sort of being almost paralysed with fear wow, in that okay. moment. 11 years later? Eleven years later, I think. I think, yeah. The, clearly, the CGI isn't top whack. You know, they haven't spent a huge amount of money on it. But what's interesting is it is a bit of a, a mixture of uh, CGI. There's some animatronic work as well. And apparently, the director um, actually directed the monster in terms of its movement, um, almost treating it like an actor. It wasn't, uh, you know, a hands-off approach. He, he wasn't sort of giving it to some whizzes at a wetter or another CGI workshop. It was very much him uh, with with the clay moulds and, uh, you know, directing, as I say, the monster, I guess to make sure it had that believable, even though he, I'm sure he realised the CGI wasn't top level, mm-hmm. giving it a believable factor. Well, rumour has it that it was actually based, the monster, on Steve Buscemi's yeah. character in Fargo. Um, so his kind of, like, physical movements and kind of threatening posture and kind of angst and, and anger... And I think if you go into the film, watch that again with that knowledge, it's kind of remarkable to see kind of how they how they did that. That's remarkable. Mm. I had not heard that. All right. Well, that was Film Club. What are we going to do for Film Club next week? So, uh, yeah, for the Film Club next week, we're going to be doing uh, David Michaud's directorial debut, Animal Kingdom, because he's got a new film, War Machine, which is out on Netflix from Friday next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting to revisit his his first film, see where he sort of come as a director in that time right okay have you seen that Ash? I have yeah it was the first uh, my first exposure to Ben Mendelsohn who I think is an all time great villain yeah. in that film doing very understated work and being absolutely terrifying <sighs> that sounds fun alright that's in next week's show but we're not done with this one yet quick nod to you Catherine Hebblethwaite saying absolute genius for the host my copy survived a DVD call for a house move now that's saying something <laughs> because in the next little bit our final, our little coda, our little end of credit scene, uh, we're going to be uh, dialing up our chum David Jenkins. 
Hi there. David, you're in our cans. <laughs> yes, I, I feel like I've got to shout a bit because I'm no, on no. the continent. We can hear you really well. Too well, if anything. You, OK, good. Okay. Today is the opening day and they've already gone and shown a film and it was Arnaud Desplachins, uh, or Desplachins. How do you say it? Desplachins. Thank you. And That's his film, I say, I think. Ismail's Ghosts, a bizarre choice of opening film, you called it. Was it a good one? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a very strange film to open a festival because that slot is usually uh, for either something very worthy or very crowd-pleasing or often something that can just basically bring in lots of star-spangled red carpet types to make it look all glitzy. But um, I, I guess this takes a bit from all of that in that you have... Marion Cotillard, who's one of the main stars, and Charlotte Gansborg and Mathieu Amorik, who I guess will be popular to the locals. And uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a it's quite a strange film. I mean, from from the sort of Twitter response, which you kind of get after a film screens, people will seem a little cool on it, shall we say? Mm. You called it a mess, but a glorious one. And your full review is up on the Little White Lies website as we speak, because that's how quick you are. You're heading off to, to queue up for, for what next then, David? I'm queuing up for a film called uh, Loveless by a Russian director whose name I, I, I can't even begin. I mean, if you think Deplashan is hard to pronounce, you've got to try this one. I just can't even begin to start to pronounce it. Uh, wow. <laughs> it's that, Sorry, I'm just... I'm that does sound difficult to, to pronounce. It, we had a little bit of break up Andrei, there. Oh, yeah, Andrei Zvagnistev. <laughs> yeah, we had a little bit of breakup there, dude. Oh, OK, sorry. Oh, what colour badge did you get in the end? Oh, blue badge. Right, blue and Sophie? Badge, but it's, it's... Sophie got a blue badge as well. Oh. So we, we, she, she, she got an upgrade there. So we, it means we can uh, stand in the queue together, watch people get annoyed together. It's nice, mm. nice feeling. Speaking of people getting annoyed together, David, I understand there's already friction in the jury. It seems so, yes. I mean, uh, this this morning there was a big parade. Actually, I don't think a parade is the official term for it, but they had a press conference where all the jury members came out and spoke to the press. And, um, yeah, um, one, of the, one of the things that came up is that the, the jury president, uh, Pedro Almodovar, has said that he is refusing... Well, he, I don't think he said it in very finite terms, but he said he, you know, he's... He, he doesn't want to consider films that are being released by Netflix for the main prize, the Palme d'Or. Uh, and that's and that would include two two quite big films in the competition, which is um, the new film by Noah Baumbach the, the, and the new film by Bong Joon-ho, Okja. Um, so, yeah, that might put a few noses out of joint, maybe. Um, but... Um, it's a strange thing to say. I mean, it's quite, a, you know, I think that the sort of press corps here do kind of love a bit of potential controversy and maybe, maybe this isn't going to sort of resonate beyond, you know, hardcore cinephile types who are kind of like locked onto can coverage, but it's quite, it seems like quite a big statement to make. Hmm. Um, Will Smith already direct, called him out on it. I don't know if it was a direct response to, to this, to this, uh, to this statement, but he said he's up for a, he's up for a tussle. He wants to he wants to argue with Pedro Almodovar, and uh, um, he said this very sweet thing about how he feels that um, he uh, being being a member of the jury, he's going to be uh, he's going to be a smarter person by the end of the whole process, which mm. is a, a lovely thought, I think. Very nice. Hi, David. It's Adam here. 
Hi there, how's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, I just, I know you haven't seen any of the competition films yet, um, but I just wondered if you had an early tip for the Palme d'Or. Mm, I'm not sure. It, again, yeah, as you say, I've not seen anything and it's, it's hard to say. I mean, um, maybe Michael Haneke would win his third Palme d'Or. He has, an, he has a new film called Happy End here. Um, which which looks like it could be interesting, or uh, maybe uh, you know Yorgos Lanthimos, who's the the Greek director who did Dogtooth and The Lobster. He's got a new film here called The Killing of a Sacred Deer. But actually, I think that um, this this actually might be uh, um, Sofia Coppola's year. Uh, with she's she's here with a remake of of, of the Don Siegel film The Begard, which hasn't, isn't a remake of the of the Don Siegel. It's actually a a new version based on the on the original Thomas Cullinan novel. So, uh, and that's got um, Nicole Kidman and Elle Fanning and Kirsten Dunst in it. So it it looks like it could be good. And she and she's talked about how she's made it's it's very much her kind of un, untainted, untrammeled vision, and she had final cut on the film. So. I'm excited to see what she's done with it. Nice. And do, do, do you know when that's screening yet? Uh, that's screening on the 24th, so um, sort of early next week. So oh. I'll have seen that uh, by the time we speak next. Great. David, you take care out there. Will do. All right. We'll catch up with you again soon. Give our best to right. Sophie. Will do. See you next week. All right, then. Bye. Bye. David Jenkins. I have to say, it didn't sound remotely like he was actually in another country. I'm wondering if maybe we should put some seagulls, a little bit of FX behind it, because it, I didn't get a flavour of can from that at all. No, we need some clinking of uh, rosé flutes. Right, accordions. I, I, I don't want to cross-pod too much, but I'm getting vibes of Roy Hodgson in his shed. Oh, in, yeah, very in, much so. In Croydon, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it was interesting what he was saying. We should explain, if you haven't seen uh, the, the news, the jury and all that stuff... Will Smith is on the jury, a yeah. selection which some people felt was not in keeping with the, the tone usually of a, of a canned jury. I was interested to see, the, the, did you see the, 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 the shot, the kind of presentation shot? Mm. He was very much out on one end. There was Almodovar in the middle when everyone's being very chummy and there's Will Smith on the end, you know, I think smiling so bravely. Much snobbery in that. I think, you know, Will Smith had like, what, almost three-decade career, like producing, starring, award-winning. Yeah. This guy's an industry legend. Um, and I, I don't see why he shouldn't be on the candidate. Are you team Will or team Pedro on the Netflix issue? I'm, I'm team let's kind of see what happens because it's a really fascinating time for the development of how media is, is produced and consumed. I mean, there's films like uh, Bong Joon-ho's film and also uh, the film Mudbound by Dee Rees, mm. um, which premiered at Sundance, which has been bought by Netflix. And there's talk that it might not even see a cinema screen because right. Netflix has got a commitment to their core audience where they said they've invested in us. Mm. So we're going to put the film online straight away. And ultimately, we're in a position with the film industry. Uh, it's something that the music industry has gone through with these kind of real tumultuous changes. Um, so I think we've all got to kind of keep an eye out on, on what's going on. The issue in Cannes uh, being that the two films that have been entered by Netflix aren't going to be receiving uh, theatrical releases in France and thus from next year they kind of said they're not going to consider any film that, that doesn't actually get a cinema cinema outing. Of course Twin Peaks is also, they're airing the first two episodes, that that seems a bit of a departure as well. Yeah, again you wonder why they're, why they're choosing to do that. Um, Twin Peaks isn't necessarily a big draw for uh, Cannes whereas something like a new Bong Joon-ho uh, film would be. Um, but then again, David Lynch has apparently directed all of the episodes. Exactly. So, yeah. Who is he? Yeah, and he hasn't done anything, he hasn't released anything new since. People will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Inland Empire was his last film, and that was 2007. Yeah, so that's, so that's 10 a years decade, ago. and yeah. I think people are Lynch hungry, as it were. Mm. Um, really looking forward to Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Bing time for Lynch. Exactly. Yeah, I want to make a little lunch thing, but it's it's Lynch time. Yeah. Oh it's a Lynch box. <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? Yeah. Uh, we'll move on. Well, of course, it's airing on TV from the 22nd of May. If people do want to go out and see a movie and feel a little bit unenthusiastic about King Arthur and Colossal. What is there out there in Movieland that they could go and see, Ash? Well, I would like to give a big shout-out to a forthcoming programme at the British Film Institute, which is called Unbound, Visions of the Black Feminine. And it's a big month-long series in June dedicated to celebrating the work of black filmmakers, black female filmmakers. And uh, the big film anchoring it is a film called Daughters of the Dust by Julie Dash, which came out in the US in 1992. And at that time, it was the first ever film directed by a black woman in America to have a theatrical release. Wow. It was at that later date. And it's a beautiful film about cultural memory and migration. Um, and it's been kind of long, very difficult to find in this country. And, and tickets are on sale for that series now. Um, and it looks really wonderful. So I'd kind of get, get plotting and get planning to see what you're going to see because these films are incredibly rare. And a lot of them you can't get on DVD. Uh, you'd be lucky to find them on VHS. So Unbound at the BFI in June. Nice one. Adam? Yeah, I second that. I can't believe it's 92 is the, the first film uh, directed by a, a black woman was released. The actual yeah, it's amazing. not like we're in an incredible kind of run of it now, but at least <laughs> yeah, uh, well, at least Dee Reeves, Ava DuVernay are kind yeah. of making waves and, and things. But yeah, it was a late date and it kind of shows you how deep that, that inequality goes. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got anything you'd recommend on theatrical release? I mean, you know, I think King Arthur is worth a watch if if you're into that sort of thing. Um, if you can suppress your, by whatever means, your critical faculties. Yeah. I, well, well, yeah, maybe. I, I've got to say, I did have a bit of fun with it. Yeah. Um, low expectations, and it, it sort of passed the time. Hmm. Um, I would, I would go for the David Beckham cameo and for Jude Law's <laughs> performance, and, and just leave it there. But All right. All there's right. not really a lot else out there. This Harry week. Hill would have a field day with this film, wouldn't he? I'm he just would. Be, yeah. <laughs> What um, what's coming up in next week's Truth and Movies? Uh, so next week we've got the new Pirates of the Caribbean film. Ooh. They're back. Well, Johnny Depp is back, and then they've sort of recast and replaced Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. That's a shame. Yeah, they're basically. I don't know the actors' names off, off the top of my head. Paul now, McCartney. They look like younger versions of those two. Right. Which is strange. Johnny Depp's back, so we're going to be talking Pirates. Five. Not looking like a younger version of himself. No, no, looking more and more like Keith Richards. Uh, and we're also talking about The Other Side of Hope, which is the new Aki Karazmaki film. Yeah, they're the, they're the two big ones next week. Um, and then obviously we'll have Animal Kingdom in the, in the film club. Boom. And David Jenkins. And we'll try and phone up David again, see right. where he is, if he's actually there. Hopefully we'll have your company, listener. Thanks ever so much for being with us today. Ash, thanks for jetting in. Thank you. And Adam, lovely to see you. And likewise, always a pleasure. Excellent. We'll be seeing you next time. This was a Seven Digital production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.